Hey Icon, Pastor Justin here, and we are wrapping up our series that we've called Rest, God's Promise for Sinners and Sufferers. And uh, I've really enjoyed this series. It's been a little bit different for us to do a topical series based on a book. Uh, if you haven't yet purchased Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, highly recommend it. It's a great book. Uh, I'm rereading it now. My wife's reading it. I'm, I'm giving it to lots of different people. It's just, it's the kind of book that uh, I think we all need to read right now, just to put us at rest in the arms of God. And so uh, we are wrapping up that series today. Uh, next week is Moral Day weekend. We'll kind of have a one-off uh, deal on that day. And then we are kicking off our Romans series. Uh, if you remember last summer, we started Romans. We dropped it in like Romans 6. We're picking back up and uh, we're going to do several chapters over the course of the summer. So excited about that. Um, but uh, let's jump in. Today, uh, this sermon is one of my favorite kinds of sermons where I get to kind of upend uh, a standard Christian cliche. And so uh, we're going to look at the idea that God's ways are not our ways and God's thoughts are not our thoughts, right? Like we, we've, we've heard that a bunch. We've, we've heard other people say it. Uh, we've probably said it ourselves to other people to kind of comfort them. Uh, so here's the bad news. Uh, that does not mean what you think it means, right? The, the context of that passage is not what you might assume the context of the passage is. So that's the bad news. The good news is, uh, at least it's in the Bible, right? Like a lot of our Christian cliches aren't even in the Bible. Like God helps those who help themselves, right? Not in the Bible at all. Not a, not a Christian idea. It was probably Ben Franklin or something. Uh, so that's bad news. But the best news is that this verse, that God's ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts, are act this is actually better than even the cliche way that we use it. It's, it's good news for us. And so uh, let's jump in. Uh, this verse is found in Isaiah chapter 55. So go ahead and turn to Isaiah 55. And while you're doing that, um, I think that when we use this line or we re recite this verse, often what we mean is that God is so other, right? Like God is just different than we are. And it speaks to his transcendence or his otherness. Uh, and, and, and this is true, right? Like he is other and this verse is about his otherness, but it's about this particular kind of otherness, uh, that I, I want us to be able to really get. So Isaiah chapter 55 verse eight is where we find this line. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God basically says, I don't think like you think and I don't act like you act, which I think for most of us, and I honestly for myself before I really dug into this passage, would have thought that when Jesus is talking about my thoughts are not like your thoughts, that this was mostly about wisdom. Right? Like God just sees the bigger perspective. That's why he says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So I would have understood that to be basically God has this huge divine perspective, 
And so he sees things and therefore thinks about things differently. Like we have this little micro perspective. We see our lives through the lens of just our immediate experience, but God has this macro perspective. And so he, his thoughts are different. They're higher than our thoughts. Right. And then he says, my ways are not your ways, which I think, again, I would take to be about holiness. Right. So God is wiser than us and he doesn't act like a fool like we do. Like he, he, the way he acts is in line with his character. He is holy and good and he always acts holy and good. Now, I have heard this line used mostly to like wave away things that we don't understand, particularly theological ideas that don't jive with what we want to believe or what we've seen, what seems to be right or circumstances that don't make sense to us, right? Like it's just kind of a way to go, well, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. So Calvinism, I don't know, or, or God's ways are not our ways. And so I'm walking through this pain and suffering and I don't know why, but God's ways are just not our ways and we don't always know. And so it's just like a, a way to kind of wave away difficult thoughts, difficult conversations, difficult circumstances without having to actually deal with them. Now, we just talked last week about how that is a terrible way to deal with your life, especially pain and suffering. Pain and suffering comes in all kinds of different forms. Pain and suffering can just be confusion. It can just be, honestly, maybe last week's sermon cost you pain and suffering because you didn't understand. It didn't make sense to you to blame God that God is the cause of pain and suffering in our lives. I, I, I totally get that. But rather than just waving it away like, well, God's thoughts are not our thoughts, I would encourage you to do the same thing I encouraged you to do last week, which is press more deeply in. Figure it out. Why does God say, I create calamity? Why does God say all good and bad comes from the mouth of God? Like what? What does that mean? How could God be the cause of those things? Rather than waving it away or, or letting it cause you to walk away from the faith, press in and go, well, why? That doesn't make sense to me. So I want to understand. Okay. So all that to say, this verse is not at all about how to explain away things you don't understand by simply going, well, his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways. That's not the point of this passage. So here's what I want to do. I want you to understand what this passage is. In order to do that, we've got to look at the broader context. So go up just two verses to verse six. I'll read this, this larger passage. Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Right? That's, that's the context. It is Isaiah saying, seek the Lord, call upon the Lord, Right? Come back to God, lay aside your unrighteous ways, forsake the wicked way, the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts and turn away from them and come back to the Lord. Right? This is the central call to the gospel. Come back to God, repent and believe, confess your sin and turn from it. Right? So in that sense, 
Um, this is basic kind of Christianity 101. Even though it's the Old Testament, God has been the same. Isaiah's call to the people of Israel is the exact same as Jesus' call today. Mark 1, 14 and 15, the first words out of Jesus' mouth in Mark the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. This has been the core message from day one. Okay, So this is the, the context that we see our verse in. Isaiah just saying, hey, come back to God. If you're wicked, if you're unrighteous, if you've sinned, if you're running away from God, rebellious against God, come back to him. Right? It's simple. But here's the key piece. We don't do it. Right? Like, this is why the prophets over and over and over with Israel say, repent, 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 come back to God, or come back to God. And Jesus, again, in the New Testament, the gospel, saying, repent and believe, repent and believe. It's why the, the, the disciples throughout Acts are preaching the gospel, telling people, repent and believe the gospel. It's why Paul and Peter and John and James write these epistles saying, repent and believe, come back, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, repent of your sin, believe that God has raised him from the dead and be saved. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. This is the language of the entire Bible, right? So why don't we do it? I think there are primarily two reasons why we don't do it. And I think, I'm honestly saying, I think there's only two reasons why we don't repent and believe, why we don't turn aside from our sin and come back to God. The first is that we're afraid that God will not accept us, right? We know what we've done. We know what we are doing. We know what goes on in here. We know what goes on in here. We know the things that we do in this, in secret. We know the motivations of our heart, even when other people do not. Even when we are so good at hiding our sin, we know what it is. So I think the first reason why people don't turn from their sin and come back to God is that they are riddled with shame with guilt, they're fearful, we are fearful that God won't accept us. That if we actually came back to him, he would maybe accept us with conditions, but, but not, not really embrace us, right? We, we feel so much shame and embarrassment that we cannot go to him openly and so we keep him at a distance. We don't actually turn from our sin, or maybe we, we try with discipline to turn from our sin or to will ourselves, but our relationship with God is not really one of grace, but of law. Like, let me get my stuff figured out, and then I'll come to you. Second reason, and I think there's only two, is that you don't want to change. We kind of like our sin. Feels good, right? Pursuing pleasure is kind of nice, and it seems relatively harmless. I'm not murdering anyone. I'm not stealing from people, really, you know, like it's, it's harmless, and I'm just kind of doing my thing. I, I, I don't want to turn from my sin because I like it, and confessing and repenting and changing seems like a, seems like a lesser life. So it feels like a life filled with discipline and denying myself rather than pleasure and fun. I don't think there's a third option. 
I think every single person as we wrestle with coming to God is wrestling with not one, but likely both of these things at the very same time. We are both afraid of God or filled with shame so that we wouldn't go to him. And at the very same time, we kind of like our life better than what we think life with God will be like, one of kind of self-denial and discipline. Well, this passage addresses both of those issues. And, and our, our core little passage, our line, you know, our Christian cliche is at the center. So I'm going to come back to that, but I want you to see how this whole passage addresses both of these issues and why, uh, why our, our thoughts are, are not my thoughts line is the core of the whole thing. Okay. So to do that, let's go back to verse one, chapter 55, verse one, the very, very top. Isaiah says this, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Hey, buy with no money. He says, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So in, in its immediate context, this is Isaiah writing the word of God to the people of Israel, inviting them to come to God. And, and this is the offer, right? Like this is the offer of the gospel. And, and we may read Jesus and be like, wow, Jesus sounds really different than the God of the Old Testament, but it's just flat out not, right? Like this is, this is the offer of the gospel that has always been. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come by and eat. That's the gospel. There is life with God and it costs you nothing. You cannot earn it. You cannot purchase it. You need no money for it. You need no effort for it. God offers it freely. All you have to do is come to him. And this this, this is troubling when it should not be. It's troubling because it just seems too good to be true. There's just nothing else in our life that works this way. If you ever get a free offer, an email, right, that says, hey, free this or that, free shoes or free jacket or free cologne or $50 off, like whatever it is, there's always a condition. There's always something that comes with it. We've been trained, we've been conditioned to disbelieve an offer that seems too good to be true. We, we innately go, what's the angle, right? There's some hook. It might be free on the front end, but you're just hoping I forget to cancel is basically what's happening, right? There's always a condition. That is our experience. Nothing is free. Everything is a bargain. It's a deal and a hustle. That's just our way. That's how we think. So when we come to a passage like this, we go, yeah, sure, but like, what's the catch, right? I, I had a friend, uh, still a friend, have a friend, have many friends. One of my friends, um, when she got married and left the house, her dad wrote her a letter. In that letter was a bill 
Not a bill that she had to pay, but an accounting of every dollar he had spent on her up to that point. He wanted her to know. This father wanted his daughter to know just how much she had cost him. When I heard that story, I was filled with rage. And I'm not particularly close with this friend, uh, but I just thought, what a horrific thing for a father to do to a daughter. To, after caring for her for 20 some odd years, to then give her the bill. And not, not to pay it, not because he felt like he was owed it, but just to like, just to let her know what her cost was to him. God could not be more different than that father. God offers us everything and says there is no cost. Don't worry about it. I, I, I'm here to give you food and, and not charge you a dime. I, I, I want you to spend your money for the good things. I, I, I want you to come to me and experience everything you need. I, I want you to delight yourself in rich food. I want your soul to live. That's what I want. And it costs you nothing. It costs me everything, but it costs you nothing. And it's just so stinking hard for us to get our heads around that because that's not how we think. That's not the way the world works, is it? Now, what is it about that sentence that might remind you of our core verse today? right? This, this, this way of thinking is not how we think. This way of being is not how we act. This is not our way. It's almost as if in verse eight, God is telling us, seek the Lord, come to me, come and get forgiveness, come and rework your life, reorient your life around me, come and get free food, come and get free drink. You can pay me nothing. I just want your soul to live for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. It, it, it sounds different now, doesn't it? That God is saying, come to me, don't pay a dime, and I will give you life. I will give you everything you need. Because listen, I don't think like you. There are no conditions. I'm not cynical. I'm not trying to trick you. My ways aren't your ways. I'm not like, I don't act like. I, I, I don't have one hand behind my back just waiting for you to take whatever is in the other so I can give you the hammer. That's not how, that's not how I work. So, so any fear that you might have coming to me because of your sin, because of the shame that you have, that you feel, like throw that away. I'm not like you. I'm not like your father. I'm not like your boss. I'm not like your spouse. I'm not like your friends. I'm not like any human you've ever met. So when you talk about like, this, isn't the, this just isn't the way the world works, God goes, I know. It's not. I'm different. I don't think like you think. I don't act like you act. It's, it's, a, it's a totally different ballgame. John Calvin says it this way, men are wont to judge and measure God from themselves. 
for their hearts are moved by angry passions and are very difficult to be appeased. And therefore, they think they cannot be reconciled to God when they have once offended him. But the Lord shows that he is far from resembling men. God's not like us. Don't treat him like us. God doesn't think like us. He doesn't respond like us. He doesn't act like us. Don't treat him like that. God's thoughts are gracious thoughts and his ways are merciful ways. We might accept someone reluctantly, but like the prodigal son's father, God runs to us anxious to welcome us home rather than standing back and go, come on, if you make it, if you will come all the way home, if you will grovel all the way home, I will accept you back inside the door. That's not what happens. It says, the prodigal story says that the father saw the son far off into the distance and ran to him to welcome him home, threw his robe on him, anxious for him to be reconciled again. We might accept someone with conditions. God offers us free food and water. We might be wary about being burned again. God gathers us all the way into his breast, embraces us in the most vulnerable fashion, brings us all the way back in. We might offer a lesser version of ourselves, holding back the best for those we trust. God invites us to delight in rich food. We might welcome someone back in relationship, but that relationship will be forever strained. God, in fact, promises more than before. Because see, uh, Isaiah 55 continues. First, he says, come to him, everyone who is thirsty, and you will get free drink. Come to him if you're hungry and you've got no money. Your money's no good here. Just come and, and, and experience the life that he wants to offer your soul. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him to our God for he will abundantly pardon, right? Like he will forgive us and bring us back into relationship for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, but it doesn't end there. It actually gets better because the vision of the gospel is not simply reconciliation back to what was, but it's better than what could have been. Turn to verse 12. It says, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Not only will God welcome you back, but he's got plans for you that are better than you could imagine. Not only are you welcomed back into right relationship, not only is he anxiously running towards you to welcome you back. I mean, the, the vision of the prodigal is that this, this son has been running from the father and it's like the moment he turns, the moment he just glances over his shoulder, the father rushes to him. Even the slightest moment 
of, 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 of confession, of repentance, even the smallest impulse of confession and repentance. And the father is there, ready to welcome him in. And he throws a feast for him. And God in Isaiah promises the same. It's going to be so good. Not just a welcoming back and go, hey, well, we can forget all that sin. We can put aside all that sin. I forgive you from that sin and we can start over. No, it's not starting from scratch. It's not back to zero. It's an abundance. It's even more. We might allow someone to enter into our lives as they are, but God rolls out the red carpet and makes a new life for us. Only God can truly invite us to repent and seek him because only God can and will fully embrace us and reconcile us and make a new life for us. Dame Orland in Gentle Moly says this, God's heart of compassion confounds our intuitive predilections about how he loves to respond to his people if they would but dump in his lap the ruin and wreckage of their lives. He isn't like you. Even the most intense of human love is but the faintest echo of heaven's cascading abundance. His heartful thoughts for you outstrip what you can conceive. He intends to restore you into the radiant resplendence for which you were created. And that is dependent not on you keeping yourself clean, but on, on you taking your mess to him. He doesn't limit himself to working with the unspoiled parts of us that remain after a lifetime of sinning. His power runs so deep that he is able to redeem the very worst parts of our past into the most radiant parts of our future. But we need to take those dark miseries to him. And I would only add over and over and over that we would take those dark miseries to him over and over and over. And I promise you, he never tires of it. He doesn't. I do. And most of the people in your life do. But he doesn't. He never gets, he never gets tired of hearing you confess your sin. He never gets sick. He never rolls his eyes. He never breathes a deep sigh and goes, here we go again. Here we go again. Justin with his pride again. Justin with his lust. Justin with his selfishness and his greed. Let me guess, man, you screwed up again. Never. He doesn't think like us. He doesn't act like us. He doesn't respond like us. He's not like us. So instead of going to God and, and seeing God through the lens of every human interaction you've ever had, let God be God. As, as difficult as that is, and, and, and frankly, impossible, right? And, and, and again, like, let's not set up an impossible uh, task similar to like being perfect in front of God. Neither do you need to only come to God when you can treat God like God. You're not going to. It's impossible. So just come to him with wherever you're at. 
and at least name it. Like if the best you can do is to come to God and go, hey God, I'm pretty sure you're going to reject me. I'm pretty sure you're in heaven rolling your eyes. I'm pretty sure you're sighing a, a, a deep sigh of impatience. I'm pretty sure you're annoyed with me. I, I, I think that you're mad probably that I did this again and I hurt my wife again or I did whatever it was. I, I, I'm sure you're mad with me. Just say it. At least name what wrong thing you think about God. And then remind yourself and say, but, but you told me that your thoughts are not my thoughts. You promised me in Isaiah 55 that your ways are not my ways. And so I'm going to, I'm going to assume, I'm going to hold you to that. Hold God to his word. Say, God, if I were you, I would be tired of, of hearing this story over. If I were you, I'd probably be done and just put like an angel on me and go, hey, you gotta, you, you gotta handle this one. I, I'm, I've, I've done my time. But you said you wouldn't do that, God. So I'm gonna assume you're there. I'm gonna assume you're listening. I'm gonna assume you are looking at me with loving, gracious, and merciful eyes. I'm assuming you're glad I'm here. Because he is. I mean, not, not only is God not annoyed when we bring our sin to him, he's glad about it. He's glad about it. I get annoyed. When my kids fail in the same way over and over and over and over, I get tired of it. And I go, how many times do I have to say the same thing? How many times do I have to say, sit straight and eat your food over your plate? Really? How many times? I'm up to a million. And but but when when those words are coming out of my mouth and I'm saying that to my son, how many times do I have I get about that far before I go, oh, right. God never says that to me. He never does. Because his thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. So there's almost like a a, a pretty fair. Uh, uh, assumption or fair guess that if I'm responding in some way, God's not. Whatever it is that, that comes out of me most naturally is probably not what comes out of God most naturally. He's gracious. He's patient. He wants you to fail towards him. He wants you to fail and come to him with your failure. There's no other place he wants you to go. There's no other place he wants you to be. And I'm telling you, church, if you can get that idea deep into your soul, if you can become convinced of the fact that God wants to hear about your sin, if you can become convinced that the safest place to confess your sin, the only good place to be when you are confessing sin, is in the presence of God and you can come to him fully and he's excited to see you and excited to hear about it and excited to forgive you, to abundantly pardon, as Isaiah says, to give compassion. I, I don't even know what abundantly pardon means exactly. Like pardon really hard, really fully. I have no idea. But what I know it means is that it takes my deficit back to zero and he promises more. Not only am I no longer in the red, but I am deep into the black by the grace of God. 
If, if I, if you can just get that truth into your heart, it, you will experience the rest that we've been talking about. To just know the moment I sin, not in trouble, that's not the first instinct. The first instinct is I need God. I failed, I need to go to him. That we would come to him, not like a father with conditions, not like a father who's keeping score or keeping tabs, but a father who wants to abundantly pardon, to see our soul live, to give us food that costs no money and to prepare a way for us, to prepare a life for us that walks in flourishing and abundance. So much so that it makes our sin look thin and weak and unpleasurable. That's the hope. That's the hope of this series and my hope for our church. Let's pray. Jesus, you alone can do with our sin what we never could. And I, I am so encouraged to think that you aren't like us. Because us is all I know. All I know is a, a life that is full of conditions and bargaining that, that, that is full of half-truths and half-forgiveness, conditional love and conditional forgiveness. That's all I know. That's all I know to give. You are different. You don't think like me. And you don't act like me. And I am so thankful for that. Because I never would have gone to the cross. Wouldn't have happened. I would never have walked to my own death for the sake of those who had rejected me, rebelled against me, and who were causing that very death. I just never would have done it. So I'm thankful that your thoughts are not my thoughts and that your ways are not my ways because it's the only chance I have at life. Lord, may we become so convinced that the deeper our sin, the deeper our shame, the more quickly we need to run to you. And the more fully you will embrace us. And the more abundantly you will pardon us. We believe these things in your name.